Hello, hello. Welcome to Retrieving Sanity with your host, Keegan. Now, for those of you that do not know, Retrieving Sanity is a podcast all about mental health awareness, understanding, with an emphasis on addiction and recovery. Now, for those of you that do not know, again, my name is Keegan. I'm actually from Amarillo, Texas, a little panhandle boy, if you will, and I'm now two years sober. Wow, like, that's that's surprising to me. Like, it, pff, Tom over there's got, like, 15 years, so, you know, and he lived. And so, I just want to give you a little bit of an idea of who I am and why Retrieving Sanity exists. And for some of you, you're not going to stick around. It's okay. I don't want you here if you're not going to listen. Shushu. Now, what I want to say, first of all, is that if you're struggling and you're still here, good job. Proud of you, man. Proud of you, sis. Like, come on. Pat yourself on the back. It's okay. Now, life sucks. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to lie. Life sucks. But at the same time, on the opposite end of the coin, we actually have a fun time. But the thing is, we have to make it fun. We have to go after our happiness, our joy. We have to. If we expect people and rely on people to just give us all this stuff that we want and need, we would be, well, skeletons in the ground. Because, well, obviously you're not going to get food that way. Well, maybe you will, but maybe it's Soylent Green. Anyways, so one of the things about retrieving sanity is that it started as a little brain baby whenever I was going through the program of the men of Nehemiah. This is a nine-month Christian military rehab. Let me say that again. A nine-month military Christian rehab. Nine months. So, as you can imagine, I'm from Amarillo. This is down in South Dallas, which I was like, South Dallas? Like, okay, you know, whatever. Yeah, cardinal direction, south. No, it's it's pretty bad. So, yeah, just just keep that in mind. Now, the thing about me, I'm an alcoholic. If you couldn't tell, I'm Irish. And, well, you know, the Irish really like to drink. So, here I am. A shy 31 years old and a little bit over a decade of active alcoholism. Now, that's maybe something to be proud at, but not really. I mean, it gives me some bragging rights. Like, I bet you I could have drank Tom underneath the table. I bet you I could have done it to your PE coach. Now, the thing about that is, well... Your body kind of changes. And by change, I mean it literally re uh, it's, it recombobulates itself to operate on alcohol. Without it, it's like a well-oiled machine, but two monkeys threw a wrench in it, and now it's just going to crap. And that's what happens to your body if you're an active alcoholic, and you go cold 
turkey. So I didn't really want to die. So what did I do? I went to go get a medical detox. And I, I still almost died. In fact, I'm pretty sure I did. And, well, I mean, pfft, I'm here. So that's got to count for something. That one I can be proud of, but I can't really say that I did that. Anyways, what I want to say is that after 10 long years of active alcoholism, I actually sat there, woke up in the hospital, almost yanked out my own catheter, and checked myself out against medical advice. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it. What I did know, though, is that nothing in that hospital would have gave me what I needed. Again, I don't know how I knew that I knew I had to get out. I just, maybe I didn't want a hospital bill. I don't know. Maybe. I'm just throwing ideas out there. But the thing is, I was out. And I'm scared. And I'm still in my hometown, so all my family and friends are still there. But, you know, 10 years of alcoholism kind of makes them go like, whatever. So, about a week after I get out of the hospital, my cousin actually hits me up. And, hold on. Ginger ale. So, about a week after I get out of the hospital, my cousin who is living in South Dallas, going through the program of Nehemiah, texts me and calls me and tells me about this wonderful free rehab. I told myself I was going to do... Okay. Now, I told myself I was going to do whatever it took. I don't know what it was going to be. I don't know where it was going to be, but I knew I had to do something. After 10 years of sitting on my butt, I had to do something. So, I sat there and I thought about it. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, free rehab in Dallas. Uh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm okay. And then I was like, wait a minute. You know, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go. Sorry, got a call from someone. Someone special and important to me. So, I had to take the call. And now I don't remember where I was at. Hmm. Well, here. I'll just go to where I think I was. Anyways, so after hearing about a nine-month program. Well, actually, sorry. Yeah. Whenever I first heard about the free rehab, I was like, gunko. I was like, let's go. And then it was Christian military rehab, which I don't really have a problem with, but those two words didn't really seem to go together. And then rehab. So like three like contradicting words all at once. And, and I was just, uh, hmm. But it still stuck with me that I said I was going to do anything. And so what happened? I almost did not because he said, oh, and by the way, 
It's free. It's Christian military rehab. But it's nine months long. And that really made me go like, er, hmm, you, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I may, yeah, just pick up where I left off. And thankfully, he said, they can get you in tomorrow if you can make it. So for those of you that do not know, Amarillo and Dallas are a good margin apart. Now, also, if you're not from Texas and you don't know how big Texas is, my parents drove me six and a half hours from Amarillo to Dallas, South Dallas. So essentially seven hours just to drop my sorry butt off at a program so that I could hopefully recover. Now, keep in mind, I have piercings, I have tattoos, I had a big beard at the time. So, what happens? Uh, I get there. My first day at Nehemiah was September 21st of 2021. Now, I get there, I have to take all my piercings out, duh. And they gave me three days of quarantine to myself because, you know, COVID and all that good jazz. So, I sit there for three days in an apartment all by myself watching smart TV. And I already knew what was going to happen with the whole program. I wouldn't have a cell phone. I wouldn't have internet. I wasn't going to have basically 90% of what we have now. Essentially everything that I grew up with. So... <sighs> While I was in the apartment by myself for three days, I had a smart TV that was logged into a few different programs, and I just binge-watched everything that I could because I knew I wasn't going to see this stuff for about nine months. So, the first day comes out of me getting out of quarantine. They pull me out to the side, shave my head, shaved my beard and said, all right, here you go. Welcome to Nehemiah. Uh, what's your DOC? And I was like, doc? Well, what do you mean, what's my doc? And they were like, no, what's your drug of choice? And I was like, oh, uh, it's not really a drug. And it was alcohol. And they were like, no, 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 no. That's just dope in a bottle. And I was like, oh, well, pff, yeah, that then, that, that. And don't mind all the other things that transpired in those 10 years, but that was the main culprit, alcohol. So, cue <sighs> nine months of a military Christian rehab, but there were <laughs> some really big, big game changers in there for me, and not just me, that's a thing. These people will take basically anyone that has a problem with a substance and do as best they can to give them all the tools and resources that one needs to get their life back together. And sadly, not a lot of people actually will do that. So, um, yeah, I saw a lot of guys come in and go and then 
graduate and either go back out because they were like, man, I missed getting high. And they would go out and forget that they just had a six to nine month tolerance break and try to use the same amount they used to use. Or as, well, as someone else that had an episode not too long ago, try something like 10 times worse than what they went in for. And he went through the whole nine months. And then not even a full week after graduation, gone. So, anyways, one of the things that really stood out while I was at Nehemiah, I could eat food. Now, some of you may not actually know how big of a deal that was. I hadn't ate a proper meal in about five, six years, and that's being generous. I also had sweets, like cookies and stuff, and I didn't want to throw up that much alcohol. Oh, yeah, I didn't tell you how much. Okay, so... I was an apprentice electrician for about five years. Yes, I know. Should have already had my journeyman's. Yes, I know. I broke my femur first year, so there went like six, seven months. So I was playing catch-up. But at the same time, I was just going along because, you know, drunk. So <laughs> being the apprentice electrician that I was, I was making anywhere from six to eight hundred dollars a week. Yes, a week. And guess what? I was still going paycheck to paycheck because of how much I was ingesting. It was a lot. And I I'm not a big man. I'm like five seven, five nine, a hundred and forty, hundred and forty five pounds soaking wet. Yeah, uh, way too much. I mean, I couldn't stop shaking for the life of me. And for anyone that does know actual, like, alcohol and, like, being an alcoholic, the shakes were terrible. And I could not operate unless I had some enemy. So, cue every three to four hours, I had to do at least a shot or something. So... Now, anyways, back to Nehemiah. Remember that military part I was telling you about? Yeah. So, Tuesday, Thursday, physical fitness. So, sitting there, not necessarily doing the weights, just calisthenic stuff, you know, push-ups, jumping jacks, and it kicked my butt. It kicked everyone. Their first couple of times, everyone was dog-tired. And it went on for six months. Now, the last three months are a little bit special and different. We'll get there. So, what really happened at Nehemiah was a total change from the outside in and then from the inside back out. Now, one of the things that I'm forever grateful for is Command Sergeant Major uh, and those... Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, physical training, and then Saturday, a three-mile march. In the morning, um, 
in the ghetto. So there's that. But there was a certain person there that without them, I really don't know if I had made it. This person was my counselor. Now, she was and is fantastic. I'm still keeping in touch with her because you never know. I might break and need to call someone that really understands. Now, I was just like more than poker face. I was like dead. Um, for those of you that are watching, uh, I wish I could show you a picture. Maybe maybe we can figure something something out. And for those of you listening, maybe we can like make a link so you could see the day I got dropped off versus a little bit into the program, like what three, then five months, so three months, five months, and then graduation. So you look at the before and after, totally different person, inside and out. In fact, <laughs> the first picture, the one of me getting dropped off, I have my big old beard, right? And my mom took a selfie with me. Now, as I was in the program, my mom had gotten a bunch of photos, printed out, put them in a letter, and sent them my way. And <laughs> the first second I saw that picture, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> and... <laughs> And my roommates were like, what? I was like, dude, you've got to see this. And I just held up that picture. So the first thing was there, holy cow, you had a big beard. And then, and this is literally everyone's reaction was, was that your wife? Was that your girlfriend? <laughs> no, sorry, guys. Uh, that's my mom. And they just look at me like, dude, you look older than your mom. And I was like, I also look gray and blue with both feet in the grave. I'm just sitting on the side waiting for someone to push me over. Maybe a good enough breeze. So that has been one of my favorite pictures. But at the same time, it was very painful. Now, there's some other stuff that no one really needs to hear, but I can at least say if you're going through something really tough, like really, 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 really tough, it's okay to not be okay. Sometimes you have to allow yourself a moment of reprieve, a moment to sit there in silence Maybe listen to music in your car, sit there, cry in your hands, anything. But finding it at the bottom of a bottle, the inside of a syringe, at the other end of a torch lighter, none of that stuff is going to actually fix the problem. Now, believe me, as an alcoholic addict, I figured out the best solution to everything, and that is to use both drinking and drugs. It takes everything and makes it 
better until you sober up. And then you start to realize that a lot of the problems are coming from your solution. So it's like getting a cut, putting a band-aid on it or gauze, and then you like take out that gauze and like replace it and just yeah no it's the problem was the drugs and alcohol but the thing is is that it plays such a cruel joke on us that we kind of sit there and we have to really well just kind take it i mean we can sit there and we can fight but then it just makes it hard for us to enjoy our high and then whenever we sober up we gotta get back to feeling good and trust me it doesn't last long so anyways with the men of nehemiah we had three phases each one was three months long hence the nine months you had first phase which was essentially a giant detox time a whole bunch of like figuring yourself out finding out what your demons are Second phase, you're sitting there, you get visitations, and you kind of get a leave, but like, I mean, you could leave whenever you wanted to, but, you know, like, supervised visits or whatever. And the last three months, you actually get a job. And no, it's not like a job at the rehab. No, it's a job job. For instance... I got hired on as a copier delivery guy. And fast forward two years later, I'm still with that company. I'm a full-fledged copier technician that came straight out of rehab. And I'm still in Dallas. I didn't know anything about Dallas whenever I got here. I had a look at the population the DFW Metroplex, seven and a half million people. Now, let, let me rephrase that. Seven and a half million people. That's a lot. Now, for some of you that maybe like New York or Chicago, Atlanta, I don't know. That number to you may be like, oh yeah, whatever, like... <laughs> And remember Amarillo, Panhandle, Texas, from way up northwest to essentially east, northeast Texas. And Amarillo had a population of less than 200,000 my whole life. They've now gone over 200,000 with all the California implants. But I went from 200,000 knowing the city and surrounding areas like the back of my hands down all the way to Dallas with seven and a half million people. And now I drive around all of it and go service copiers and help people out. Like, I mean, I go to meetings. I try to be a sponsor where I can and... Even if it's not being a sponsor, it's just being a friend. Now, I'm also in something called Oxford Houses, or Oxford House, sorry. And it's also fantastic. 
So real quick recap. Men of Nehemiah, Oxford House. Those two together, if worked by the individual in a proper way and they really want to change their life, those two things will not do the trick. The trick is all up in here. It's up to that person and a little in the chest too. But the thing is, if that person doesn't want it, no amount of tools or resources is going to change. The, you cannot force someone to make that big of a change. That's the thing is that this kind of transformation, it happens on such a deep level that it hurts to get to. And it sucks. I'm not going to lie. It sucked. But I can say two years later, I'm down here doing this and I feel better than I have in over a decade. Like, <laughs> if you've never been through that kind of struggle, then I cannot think of even a close comparison. And trust me, I've, <laughs> I have thought and thought and thought about it. I've talked to other people about it. I've talked to other addicts about it. There's not really a good second. Like, everything else just pales in comparison because at some point, everything just <laughs> goes poof. Like, one of the things about active addiction, one of those amazing things is that you hit rock bottom. Now, that may not sound good to you, but hear me out. Once you hit rock bottom, you start looking around, okay? And then if you're like me, you find your shovel and you dig more. You get, you hear that? I hit rock bottom. I picked up the shovel and I kept going. At some point, I'm pretty sure I found some TNT and I just blew it up. No one tells you that rock bottom has a rock bottom to it. And then that rock bottom has another rock bottom and so on and so forth until that individual wants to make a change. And that's also the thing. You can only lift your body up so high. Sometimes you do need help. But the thing is, if you're planning on laying on a stretcher and people air vacuate out or whatever, pff, it's not going to happen. And even if it really does happen, it's not going to last. Now, for those of you that can say it, you did it and you got there and you're still good, okay, well, prove me wrong. Thank you. More power to you. I wish I were you, but I'm not. So, what I can say is that it was absolutely, by far, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Not just climbing out. I'm talking about surviving the whole ordeal. Now, 
Some of you might understand this. Some of you might. Some of you may not. And that's okay. That's kind of what this is about. Retrieving sanity is about those that have lost their sanity, get it back. And for those that don't understand that side, to get a glimpse, something that's relatable, something they can take and say, that sucks. I'm glad that's not me. But not so much just that. Just get it to where someone can sit there and be like, I'm glad I'm not that guy. But those people are still people. Let me be a decent person to them. That's all we want. We want another chance to get our life back on track. And that's the thing. Once you hit rock bottom, <laughs> there's two ways to go. And it's up or down. And maybe to the side if you find your pickaxe. But it's incredibly difficult. I don't know how else to emphasize that. It is the most difficult ordeal I've ever been through. And I hope it's the last. That whole time, pretty much that whole 10 years, being married, having my own little family of fur babies, and being uncle, and cousin, nephew, and grandson, and all that, that whole time, I was going through second-hand suicide. Now... This was a term I saw on TikTok uh, a few months before I went into Nehemiah. And it was the first time someone had said something that just resonated with me so much that I was like, oh, that that's what I'm feeling. And what it is, it's having not, it's not necessarily apathy and it's not melancholy it's not depression it's a weird myriad of emotions and circumstances and during that whole time you're doing stuff that could very easily kill you and you don't care that whole time you're sitting there going now if I'm driving along in a runaway semi just hits me, kills me, I'm okay with that. The thing is, is that with secondhand suicide, we sit there and we want to die. But we're a little bit too prideful, a little bit too ashamed of doing it to ourselves because we don't want to hurt the people that we love. So what do we do? We sit there and say, if something else takes me out, I'm not even going to fight it. I'm going to let it happen. And then the loved ones, my friends, my family, they can sit there and they can be mad. They can be absolutely livid and angry and hate whatever it is that took me. But they cannot blame me. They can't blame the person that died. That is secondhand suicide. And that 
sucks. So, keep in mind, little Irish boy, well, Irish heritage, (laughs) sorry, Um, but the thing is, little dude, Amarillo, Texas, alcoholic for about 10 years, and then get transplanted down over to Dallas. It's been two years. I've gone home a few times to get tattoos, get some piercings, see friends and family, and I haven't been there for more than like maybe five days ever since I've been down here. And that's okay, though. This is my new home. It's my home away from home. I'm sure I'll up and go somewhere else, see where the wind takes me. But in the meantime... I'm here trying to make my life better, but on top of that, what I'm really wanting to do is help someone that was just like me, because I know I felt alone and beyond alone. I, it was surreal that nothing really came close to it. And yet, I was so alone. I didn't know what I could do. I didn't know how I could do anything to portray how I felt. Out of everyone I knew, out of all the people that have went to rehabs and AA meetings, NACA, whatever have you, all those people that I knew that did that stuff, none of them had it as bad as I did. And some of them may argue with me, in which case, cool. You're entitled to your opinion, but I'm living proof that I was actually worse. Trust me. But, again, the thing is, had I heard someone say that they were going through the exact same thing that I was, I would have dropped what I was doing and I would run at that solution, I would follow it till the very end because whenever you're alone like that and you don't have anything to lose, you just have everything to gain. And sometimes you have to take that chance. Sometimes you have to just be there. Sometimes you just have to start going. And that's one of those things is that Momentum is easier to keep going than it is to build it up. Hence why your vehicle has better highway mileage than it does city. You know why? Again, it's easier to keep the momentum going instead of stopping and going. It's also worse on your car, so yeah. But the thing is, I want to help people in a way that I don't know how, but the thing is, I'm going. I was raised as a Boy Scout. I was in the Order of the Arrow. For those of you that don't know that, look into it. It's pretty interesting. I had a lot of fun. Now, going from a little kid that wanted to be a dentist so that he could get rich, so that he could buy homeless people a house, to Boy Scout to apathetic teenager, to 
little leech guy that just ran off of alcohol. Like, I'm pretty sure, well, <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure you could have ran a car off of my blood. Uh, for reference, the highest I've ever blown into a breathalyzer was a point four three. Now, again, if if you don't know much about alcohol or blood alcohol content or a lot of that jib jab, hubbery dubbery health stuff, then that's woo point four three. Yo, yeah, that that's not even a whole one. Like, well, that's the thing. The whole one is my blood. So almost a full half of what was in my system was running through my veins. Almost all of it. Sorry. Almost half of it. And I mean very close half. Was alcohol. Point four is comatose. Let me repeat that. Point four is comatose. As in a lot of the time. That person won't wake To the nurse that did that, she was like, uh, that's not right. Recalibrated it twice. And still, same thing. I was walking and talking just fine. Yeah, so. <laughs> Whenever I say I had it bad, I'm not trying to brag. I'm trying to say, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I know how bad it sucks. I know the stuff that people will do to get what they want to get, to make sure that they get their fix. I know the kind of things that people would do to also get better. Now, sometimes that latter portion, people don't get to. And you know what? That's okay. Because sometimes... After being a giver for so long, like myself, being selfish for once just feels so wrong. In fact, that's kind of what kept me in my depression, my alcohol-induced state, was I was trying to help everyone else. I was trying to give parts of me that I couldn't give. I can't help someone pick up pieces of themselves if I'm still picking up my own. That was a lesson that was really hard for me to learn and come to terms with. Is one that I wasn't really proud of, but you know, it was eye-opening. I had to be selfish for once in my life. I had, and you can argue, I was already selfish being in an alcohol-induced state like all the time. Yes, it was selfish, but it was also secondhand suicide so for once I was actually intentionally moving along my life I was intentionally trying to get better and I'm still doing that today every day I want to get just maybe not one whole percent but at least another step in a direction Notice I didn't say 
the right direction. I've been put back onto the path. Where I go is now up to me. There's no right, but there's definitely wrong. And that's jumping back in that hole. And I'm not going there. I don't care. It's, I will die. The doctors told my parents while I was out. Remember that medical detox I said I was getting? I woke up in the hospital a few days after I was admitted because they found me seizing on the floor and I went through, I went through delirium tremens. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's hardcore alcohol withdrawals and it kills you or it can. So, <sighs> man, the thing is, I know how bad it sucks. And again, once you're pulled, once you pull yourself out of that pit, the only thing you can do is don't go back in. And that's what I plan on doing. In fact, like I said, I'm here to help. I'm trying through this podcast, this radio show. I'm trying through my actions, servitude, and just talking to people, letting them know where and how I got to where I am. I cannot be ashamed of my past. If I keep running from my past, it's just going to catch back up to me. And it's been working out. It's it's ready to go. It's as fit as it'll ever be. And me, I'm still picking myself up, trying to like, you know, one punch man, 100 push-ups a day kind of thing, you know? And I can't let my past dictate my future. I can't let my past dictate my present. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm me. I'm now. Just as you are you right now. Here's a little riddle for you. Right now, you are as old as your... Hang on. Right now, you are as old as you've ever been. That's why a lot of the time, <laughs> we sit there and we think we know everything. We think we know what we're doing. We think we know how life works. Remember that being a teenager feeling? Just, man, screw authority. Screw that guy. Screw that guy. They don't know what they're talking about. I, I'm a teenager. I'm 16 years old. I can drive a car. I'm not... No one can tell me what I can and can't do. <laughs> and now, I'm 31. So first of all, I never thought I would get to this point in life. <laughs> but whenever I see someone be 18, 23, 26, any of those, and... <laughs> They just have their heads so bloated because they think they got it all. <laughs> it's just, I'm not laughing out of, like, malice or anything. I'm laughing because I can see myself in that. And I know the folly that 
I caused by thinking that I knew everything. Did I? <laughs> Dude, I don't even know if I know what I'm doing now. But the thing is, I'm willing and I'm intentionally going forward trying to help. Will I help? I don't know. I hope so. And it doesn't have to be anyone in particular. It doesn't have to be someone that I see face to face. It doesn't have to be someone that I transplant my blood to them. It just has to be someone. And, you know, it's actually okay if I never know who it was. If any. If at all. Because I'm putting my best foot forward. And I've had two surgeries on my left one, so it's probably my right foot forward. And so it's, you know, the right foot. Ah, uh, funny. No, but seriously, I'm trying to take a step at a time. I'm trying to do something now. The only thing in life that I can control is my reaction to things outside of my control. That's, <laughs> that is it. And trust me, it is very, very frustrating to be a person. It's very frustrating to sit there and have an idea in your head. And you want it to just go so smooth. You just want it so bad. You want it, you do it, and guess what? It <laughs> never works. Something fell apart. You know, Murphy's Law. If something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And then there's that other part. If nothing has gone wrong yet in the very end, it will. I forget I forget that one. But that's the thing. <laughs> we just... Man. I don't know where I'll be tomorrow. I don't know if I'll wake up. And this is where part of the spirituality part of recovery comes into place. We can only control ourselves. That's it. And even then, sometimes we're flawed at that. You know, whenever you act in haste and so like 10 seconds later, you're like, whoops. Like this. How about this? Someone calls or texts you or you just hung up and you're really angry. You, the Donkey Kong just smashed your car or whatever. I, make it up in your head. Whatever situation. But you throw your phone, like your smartphone, like that instant like reaction. Just like throw. And then as soon as... It leaves your hand. You're like, I'm going to regret that. And then you go and pick up your phone. It's all cracked to crap. And you're just like, well, can I upgrade my phone now? And they're like, no, you still got two years. And son of a. <laughs> but that's the thing. We can only do so much. So for me to help someone else is to help myself first because again I can't help someone pick up pieces of them if I've still got broken bits of me in both of my arms I don't have a tail 
I'm not very dexterous with my feet. So, I mean, once I get myself together, then, yeah, I can help someone else. And it doesn't have to be like, ooh, let me fix you. It's just like, hey, like, I'm here. Life sucks. You know what doesn't suck as much? Chips and salsa. Yeah. I mean, really, like, I don't know Mexican food north of Texas. Is it good? Is, is chips and salsa, like, a universal, like, Mexican restaurant thing? Or is that, like, Texas? Hmm. You know, now I don't know. Hmm. I know Bowling for Soup has a song that says, uh, Mexican food north of here sucks anyway, and I don't know. Maybe they're wrong. But as far as I know, I've only been alive for as long as I've been, which today would mark 31 years, uh, what, four, no, three and a half weeks or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't keep track all the time and just don't look at that. <laughs> now, one of the things that I really have to say, I am beyond blessed. I don't know if there's really a word for what I feel and how I feel and what I'm going through. It's both an epiphany. It's <laughs> rambunctiously confusing. And at the same time, it's not ignorance, but it's as blissful as I've ever been. And if you don't know what bliss feels like, you've never done drugs. Or, you know, like, whenever you cuddle up with someone that you really love, like, whenever it's kind of cold and spooky weather outside and you're watching a horror movie or something and you're like under a blanket with so-and-so and you're just like and they're like oh you want some popcorn and you're like yeah yeah that feeling that bliss it's amazing so all i have to really say though is that i love each and every one of you and if you go well you can't love someone you don't know well a lot of people hate people they don't know. So what makes you think I can't love someone that I don't know? In fact, just a little quick snippet of uh, Keegan philosophy here. I believe every person is innately good. I do believe that. And I treat people as such. I will treat someone and everyone with the same amount of respect and trust as I will everyone else. Okay, so there are a few exceptions, but those guys are in prisons because, yeah, no. There are some people that are bad, yes, but as a whole, for my philosophy is that everyone deserves love. Everyone deserves a chance. And one of my sayings is, 
A chance is all one needs to make the biggest change in the grand scheme of things. And literally, just watch the butterfly effect, you know? Just one thing affects something else and so on and so forth until it just coalesces into amazing, like, firework, uh, like, Disney style, you know? Just like... You're like, ooh, pretty. Yeah, so, I mean, life is crazy, man. Woman, dude, sis, bro, they, them, me, I, crows. Oh, and if you don't know, you're probably not calling crows the right word well maybe there's other smaller birds that their names are grackles like g-r-a-c-k-l-e like grackle something like that yeah they're crow wannabes they're all over here in texas they're mean anyways so what i do want to say again i love each and every one of you. And I want to say thank you for allowing me this time to just be able to sit here and lay it all out. My name is Keegan. I'm an alcoholic addict. And you know what? I'm here to help. And so with this, Retrieving Sanity is now on the air. If you want to watch any of the other episodes that I've done in a much more restrained fashion, uh, don't know if it's any good or not, but, I mean, how did I get here if it wasn't at least decent, right? So, you can check it out, retrievingsanity.podbean.com or just retrievingsanity.com, but definitely check in here every Friday at 7 a.m. for another hour of retrieving sanity. Until I see y'all next week, shlan.